0: from other people here in the church about lives transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And I am so grateful for these men. I want to invite now a good friend of mine, a brother in the Lord, Armand Kamakian, to come forward and to share a little bit of his story. Church, let's give him a warm welcome. Good
1: morning, brothers and sisters. I'm bringing a prop up here with me. I hope that's all right. (laughs) Um, As I look around today, I I see a lot of faces that were with my wife and myself at one of our darkest moments, and you guys really prayed with us and and just loved on us, and we're so appreciative of it, really. We love all of you. Um, I want you guys to picture a man, 27 years old, totally taken over by a heroin addiction, broken from childhood sexual abuse and years of self-destructive behavior, a man in immense pain uh, every day of his life, a suicidal man without the hope of seeing his 30th birthday. Picture this man after endless detoxes and rehabs and jail, opening the Bible to a seemingly random page and being convicted that he, like everyone else on earth, is a sinner. Picture him in a psychiatric ward, weeping uncontrollably like a child falling at the feet of Jesus, repenting of his sins and begging for mercy and forgiveness. Now picture the very hands that created heaven and earth lifting him up, hugging him as a loving father hugs a son in pain, and changing him forever. That man was me. Jesus did not repair the broken man I was. That man is dead. And the man you see here today is a new life and a new creation. That's what it means to be born again. Uh, I trusted God, and it was accounted to me as righteousness. The entirety of the Bible can be summed up in two words, trust God. A few years later, God blessed me, and I married the most challenging, I mean incredible I'm gonna get beat up for that one. Pastor, you got security out there? I, my wife is Greek, they don't play around. <laughs> um, I was praying one day and God said to me, be fruitful and multiply. I looked up on my wife and I said, yes, Lord. Uh, sometimes it's easy to trust God. After, after a few miscarriages and multiple fertility appointments discussing in vitro, God said to Nicole and I, fertility is in my hands, so uh, we trusted God we heated his voice, stopped going to the doctor, and two weeks later, she was pregnant with our son, Armand. He is absolutely the light of our life, along with this one. A few years later, 22 weeks into my wife's pregnancy with our second son, we sat in front of the best neurosurgeons in the country. <clears throat> As they told us, our son, Nikos, had the most severe type of spina bifida a person can have, called myelomeningocele. We were told if we left the baby to full term, he would be possibly paralyzed from the waist down, needing brain surgery throughout his life, and on and on. I am ashamed to say that we considered the horrifying idea of murdering our own son. God told us to carry the baby to term and to trust him. We trusted God. This is the result. (laughs) Um, Coltsnack Community Church uh, as a whole came alongside us. They prayed with us and for us. They cooked for us. They drove an hour away to pick up medical records. One of my brothers offered to help me with my bills and my mortgage if I needed it. I'll never forget that. Little Nikos was born on October 29, 2018 with fully functional legs, kicking and screaming. He had a surgery the next day and was home a few days later. A month later, the doctors informed us that Nikos' head was growing too rapidly and they needed to intervene. We scheduled the brain surgery. We began to pray hard. A few days before the surgery, our pastor, Chris Durkin, visited our home and we prayed together over little Nikos and we felt the power of the Holy Spirit in our home. The next day, moments before cutting into the head of our one-month-old, at my request, the neurosurgeon closely inspected the head of our son. He sat us down, looking confused, as he explained that he was sending us home and that the surgery was canceled. <laughs> Amen. Still no trace of any kind of a problem. Uh, that is the God we serve. I don't claim to know anything except for one thing. That day that the nails pierced the hands of our Lord Jesus and that holy blood streamed down that wooden cross, my sin and yours once and for all time was paid in full and death was defeated. If we would just receive the free gift of grace and make no mistake about it, Jesus is alive. As we celebrate Easter, God is able to transform your life no matter what your sin or your struggle is. God is able. I leave you with this one thought, there are two kinds of people here today, I assume that most of you are one kind. Those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and who will be with him in paradise for eternity and those who are not. I beg you, do not leave this place without asking yourself honestly, which one are you? Thank you and God bless you and your family.
0: Amen Ormond praise God. Very, very good. Well, it's at this time, kids, if you want to go to Kingdom Kids to Bible study, I know those chairs are a little tight, but you can go ahead and sneak out now. You're going to go with Miss Jen to study the Bible. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. But as the kids transition and as we prepare to open the Word, I'm going to invite my good friend and brother in the Lord, Glenn Delakian, to give an update not only on the growth of the church as you see today, But also the expansion of the church and a new exciting facility. Let's give Glenn a warm welcome, shall we? He is risen. 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 Amen.
2: Amen. Just warm you up for pastor's service, uh, (laughs) sermon. So, we're excited to say things continue to move forward, and uh, as many of you know, uh, we have a, um, uh, quite a project ahead of us. We purchased 13 acres on uh, Route 537, just a quarter mile down the road, less than a mile from here, and we're excited to say that things are progressing well. Things have fallen in place with um, engineering, with uh, uh, reviews with the town, with uh, finances and so forth. Uh, and we continue on our path. We also chose a contractor, Horse Construction, as the company we'll be moving forward with from from here. So you'll start to see some good momentum uh, in our planning. And uh, again, there's a lot of behind the scenes that go on, but I'll tell you, God's hand is in it every step of the way. We're also excited about the giving that all of you have participated in. uh, Raised over $750,000 so far for this project. You can applaud that, absolutely. So I'm here basically to share two things with you. One is uh, in chapter in Luke chapter 14, it says clearly to who builds a tower without first counting the cost. And of course there are costs involved in this project and there will be ongoing, but when you hear incredible stories like Shante and like Armand and so many more that go on here, you could see why we wanna build and expand to the greater community, not only for Colts Neck, but Monmouth County and the world, literally. And uh, we're excited to say that you've been partnering with us and we need even more of you to partner with us. Many of the community came forth, people who don't even come to our church and have decided to write checks and partner with us as well. So we have giving envelopes, or you could take a check and just put in the the memo, construction. It doesn't matter how little or how much you can give, we'd love to see you participate and partner in this new construction, this new facility that'll glorify God in every way. And more importantly than that, we need your prayer. If you haven't noticed, there's prayer cards in front of you in the seats. Please use them for your own needs. But also pray for us. Pray for our construction team. Pray for our fundraising team. Pray for our pastors who lead us as we continue to grow and go to places where God wants us to be. So help us participate by being a partner in God's mission here, not only in Colts Neck, but around the globe. Amen? Amen. God bless you and happy
0: Easter. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, brother. Immediately following this service, we continue to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, not only through singing, but through fellowship, through enjoying the beautiful sunny day. So immediately after this service, we usually do fellowship in the fellowship hall, but we have some delicious food. We have cotton candy. We have a bounce house, a playground for the kids right outside behind the church. We'd love to have you join us for that time of fellowship. And also, if you are new here to Colts Neck Community Church, we invite you to fill out a little card, not only the prayer card, but also our Connect card. It's an easy, simple way for you to connect with the church for us to help connect you to what God is doing in and through the church. Go ahead and fill that card out. Hand it to Pastor Ryan. He'll be at the uh, welcome table as soon as you're leaving today, and he'll give you a welcome packet with information about the church And I'll also give you a bag of cookies to add to all that Easter candy, just as a way for us to say we love you and thank you. I'm going to pray for this morning's offering, and I'm also going to pray for this morning's message. And I hope and pray that it's not just me praying, but it's our hearts together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for a new day, and we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, not only for the gift of physical life, but we thank you for the eternal gift of supernatural, spiritual life found in Jesus Christ. Please multiply the gifts of your saints so more and more people might come to know, to love, to cherish, to exalt, and to enjoy the grace of God through Christ. It's in his good name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Usher, so much. Pastor Ryan is going to be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and our study will be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27.
3: A reading from John chapter 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. It's at this time, in this moment, where
0: Thomas moves. Not only he moves his hands to stick his fingers into the side of Jesus, into the hands of Jesus, but his heart moves from disbelief to belief. His heart moves from death to life. His heart moves in a way that only the resurrection of Christ can perform. Now, many of us have come from a path where we've doubted in the past. We've come from places and moments and experiences where we have doubted whether God exists. And if he does, is he paying attention at all? If he does, if God exists, is he good? Does he care? Does he love me and my family? It was interesting this week, as all eyes were focused not only on Passion Week, but all eyes were also fixed on an ancient cathedral in France, the Cathedral of Notre Dame. It was at this cathedral that we saw a burning inferno consume a centuries-old church, a beautiful, magnificent building filled with not only truly reverential architecture, but filled with a long, wonderful history. As Notre Dame was filled with fire and as we saw its ceiling cave in and as we saw the steeple turn to ash, I don't know if you had the thought that I did, but God, why are you letting this church burn at all But then why are you letting this church burn this week of all weeks? Why, God, would you let this bring so much sadness to not only the people in France, but also the people that visited that church? And as I was praying on that, and of course, we see this as even a window into the heart of the cross, that as I was praying on that, more and more stories came out about this fire, about this inferno. And one of the most powerful stories was not an article, but it was an image, an image of the cross. Perhaps you've seen this. Perhaps you heard about it. This is the cross in the sanctuary of Notre Dame. Surrounded by ash, nothing but fire had consumed everything in the building besides its Frame, but standing in the midst of this darkness, almost like a beacon, is the cross. The cross continues to stand. The cross continues to inspire. So, as I was praying and wrestling with God, God, why did you allow this to happen this week? I also went to the local store here in town and I got a newspaper. And on this newspaper, I came to realization what God does with the darkness of the world. He turns darkness into good. Not only does it say Jesus saved on the cover of the New York Post, but the New York Times, the USA Today. All of these major news publications all had a picture of that cross or this man with the words, hope endures. Amazing. (laughs) Truly amazing. You know what? It made me think of another cross. Yes, we will get to the cross, the cross on which Jesus bled and died, but I'll never forget this next cross. It didn't happen in France. It happened in New York. I had friends that confessed to me. They knew I was a pastor You say, Chris, was your God sleeping on September 11th, 2001? Was he not paying attention? When evil men were conspiring to destroy innocent lives, where was your God? When the rubble fell, now we're not talking about an empty empty cathedral, we're talking about two populated towers. How do we understand darkness in our world? How do we come to terms with not only the good of life, but the bad and how bad the bad can get? You see, when we don't understand the cross, when we don't understand not only a cross in a cathedral or a cross at the bottom of a terrorist act of evil, But if we don't understand the cross, friends, you're not going to understand your whole Bible and you're not going to understand the God that Christians worship. The cross is the center, the foundation, the anchor, the fulcrum on which our entire faith stands. Someone once said, A.W. Tozer, he said this. He said, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Now, when I first heard that, I was a new Christian. I thought, well, that's a little offensive. But then I began to ponder it, and he's right. What we believe about God, if there is a God, or if we believe there is no God, or if that God is good, if that God is fair, if that God is just, that will determine how you believe and how you live. It will direct how you love and how you forgive. It will shape every single part of your life. The Bible says, if you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God. Not only look to Jesus, but also look to the cross. The cross reveals in such succinct power that it disarms even the most hardened heart, It reveals both the vertical holiness of God, but also the horizontal mercy of God. You see, the cross is the greatest gift given at the greatest cost. The most deserving, Jesus, dies for the least deserving. The death of Jesus was, in fact, the death of death, but it was not, friends, the death of Jesus. No, on this day, we celebrate that Jesus, who died on Good Friday, has risen. He is resurrected. The cross proclaims that God understands our pain and our suffering, but even deeper than that, it proclaims that we could never save ourselves. We could never, by our own good deeds, reconcile ourselves to God we by our own practices, rituals, and religion had no hope of salvation unless God himself saved us, unless God himself brought the greatest good out of the darkest evil. The cross and the resurrection proclaims God is able to bring the most unimaginable good out of the most unspeakable evil. I submit to you that nothing is sadder in all of history than the death of the Messiah, and nothing more wonderful than what his death and his resurrection has accomplished for those who believe. You see, my friends, Christ did die, but on this day, Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate the fact that he didn't stay dead. He's alive. So here's the simple invitation. Here's the question that I'm going to ask as we turn to this text, as we think about that faithful day where Jesus died for our sins. If Christ is alive, then you must decide. If Christ is alive, if he's no longer dead, if his bones are nowhere to be found, if Christ is alive, if he has not only overcome death, But if what the Bible has prophesied in the Old Testament and proclaimed in the New, if Christ is alive and in his death, he has overcome my sin, I must decide. I must decide. What do we do not only with the person, the teaching, the miracles, the influence of Christ? What do we do with the cross and the glorious resurrection of Christ? If you want to follow along, we're going to look at some of the miracles surrounding the cross of Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 45. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. If you're new to the Bible, we're so glad and grateful you're here. There should be a Bible in front of you. We invite you to take that out. If not, please just listen along. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 says this. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. You see, the first miracle around the cross is darkness. Jesus was crucified around 9 a.m. on that faithful day on Calvary 2,000 years ago. And during those first three hours, while nailed to a Roman torture device, Jesus said three things. What I want everyone to think about is not only what Jesus said, but where he said it from, And then who was listening? What we're going to see is that this, all of this, not only proclaims salvation, forgiveness, and grace abstractly or in theory, but even someone in this text and someone that you would never guess, someone that you would have never believed, could believe, makes a bold confession. So think, not only what's being said, who's saying it, from where he's saying it, and then who is hearing it. Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m., and then he said three things from 9 a.m. to 12 noon. The first thing that he said while he was nailed to the cross, as he's looking down at people mocking him, as he's looking at the people that literally conspired to kill him, He's looking at the centurion, and he's looking at the guards who literally nailed his hands to the cross. Jesus says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you envision and imagine this mercy? Can you envision? I mean, how are we, friends, when someone wrongs us in a small way? Do we say, oh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do? No, we want to visit their crime on us twofold. We want to double up so that they know just how angry we are. To think that the innocent Messiah, in fact, the only innocent man who's ever lived, is not only crucified, but is speaking grace and forgiveness is a depth of mercy that we probably cannot fathom. But this reveals the heart of God. This reveals the forgiveness of God. And then there was one centurion that probably heard it and thought, who is this man? I've never seen this. There was a centurion that probably thought, I have seen the crucifixion of hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of criminals. And I have never in all my days heard somebody pray for their forgiveness. You would see it's at this time where Jesus also not only gives a word of forgiveness, but he also gives a word of assurance. Not only was there a centurion right to the right, there was also a thief crucified next to him on the cross. The thief, through simple faith, looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you're in your kingdom. This thief who was nailed to a cross this thief who could not get down from the cross, who could not perform any, zero, religious deeds. He could not check off any religious rites. He could not do anything good or moral to win God's favor. He just simply looks at Jesus and says, remember me. And then the words from Jesus' lips should astound us. He gives the clearest assurance of salvation to anyone in all the Bible, he says, today I tell you the truth. You will be with me in paradise. The centurion must have heard that and said, this man is forgiving others and now welcoming a condemned thief. This man who's dying, doesn't he understand he's dying? Doesn't he understand that this is how kingdoms end? This is how messiahs are killed? Would-be saviors and their Impact is now wiped away. The centurion must have thought, Who is this guy? Who is this guy who thinks that his kingdom is just beginning? Not only a word of forgiveness, but also a word of assurance, and then a word of provision. There's his mother Mary. When all of the other disciples had fled, all the other apostles, would be apostles, are gone except for John. Here's Mary weeping at the foot of the cross. What was Mary thinking that day? Perhaps she wasn't thinking of her son on a cross. Perhaps she was thinking of her son in her arms. Perhaps she wasn't thinking about an angry mob or centurions, but shepherds and angels and magi. What was Mary thinking? How could things have gotten so bad? How could have things gotten so dark? Here's my son. And they've killed him. You know what? Jesus not only forgives, Jesus not only assures, he speaks even to his mother. says, Mother, behold your son, pointing to John. Jesus provides for her, for her care, for her physical needs. This Savior forgives, assures, and provides. The centurion next to him must have thought, who is this man? Oh, but the first miracle, I guarantee, is what got his attention. When everything went wrong dark. At 12 o'clock noon, you could read about it in church historians like Origen and Tertullian. There's even some evidence that Pontius Pilate wrote to Tiberius Caesar and said there was a strange darkness over the land that day. This is not just fable. This is not just mystery. This is real history. Darkness spread over the land in the same way that God had clouded Egypt. With darkness during the first Passover, now, as the final Passover lamb, Jesus Christ is being sacrificed. As his blood is being poured out, darkness covers the land for three hours. What would you have thought? What do you think the centurion thought? This is no mere man. This is no would-be political leader. It was not only that miracle, but probably the next several that led to a powerful confession. Verse 46, it says this, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have some of us asked God that question? Have some of us wondered that quietly, secretly? God, have you forgotten me? God, have you forsaken me? Remember, friends, this is Jesus. God the Son, the Son of God, saying it to God. Now, what's interesting here is that this is the only time where Jesus prays and doesn't refer to God as his Father. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, quoting Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me in a way that we cannot fathom? The perfect, beautiful, sacred, Unified trinity is now torn asunder. Not in reality, but in intimacy. The father who loves his son. The father who is so in love with his son. The father who was always in perfect unity with his son now has to turn his back on his son. Why? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he who knew no sin became sin, so that we could become the righteousness of God. It's in that moment the Son of God not only took our sin, but He became sin. You see, God cannot have fellowship with unholiness. God cannot have fellowship with any kind of darkness. The Bible says God is light and God is love. Perfect love and perfect light. Perfect goodness and perfect holiness. It's in this moment where the Father turns His back on His Son. Perhaps some of us wonder why Jesus was forsaken. He was forsaken, friends, so we could be forgiven. He was forsaken so we would never be forgotten. He was forsaken for three hours on this dark Good Friday so that we would never ever be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But the question is, who and what are we trusting in? Who and what are we believing in? Who and what are we confessing? Verse 47 says this, And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. Verse 48, And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And the other gospels actually says, he said three powerful words with that loud voice. It is finished. What's finished? The penalty and the price of my sin. The penalty, the price of our sin Jesus Christ was drinking of the cup of God's wrath and he drank it to the last drop so for those of you that come from a certain persuasion from those of you that come from a certain tradition that says well you need to believe in Jesus and then you also need to do all these things and then maybe after a long time in this other place called purgatory then maybe maybe just maybe God will accept you to tell us you know what that word means It is finished. Jesus plus nothing equals, hallelujah, everything. There's no addition to the gospel. Any addition to the gospel is actually subtraction. When Jesus proclaims it is finished, that means all of our sin for those who trust in him, those who believe in him, those who he took our sin, now, finally and forever paid for. I wonder if the centurion heard this proclamation and thought his life is finished. That must be what he means. And then he yields up his spirit to his father. But that's not when the miracles stop. No, in fact, in this moment in verse 41, it's, uh, 51, it says, "...and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split." The tombs were also opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, coming up out of the tomb after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. It's at this time that we see these other miracles surrounding Jesus' crucifixion. We see that the ground shook. We see that, in fact, tombs were being emptied. True miracles, but also The one probably of most theological, biblical faith significance was a curtain that was torn. This curtain that was torn is not a matter of church decorations. It's not a matter of interior design. We're not talking drapes here. This curtain that was torn separated unholy man from a holy God. It was a massive structure. 60 feet high Envision this. 30 feet wide. So I did the best I could, and this is what I got. Are you impressed yet? This curtain in the temple communicated that there's a wide divide between God and man. There's a wide divide between his love and his people. There's a wide divide between us trusting him and knowing him, us being reconciled to him This veil communicated to everyone that God is holy. In fact, it was only the high priest, the holiest man, on Yom Kippur, the holiest day, where God's holy people Israel, one day of the year would send in one man, only for a moment, to make atonement for sin. Even then, after many rites of holy purification, it was no guarantee this man would walk in there and live. When people saw the curtain, they knew that there was separation. We haven't seen the curtain. None of us have. But we deal with this tension every single day. We do. How many of us believe that God is love? Do we? How many of us believe that God is good? How many of us believe that God is a good father? loves and provides and has a plan for his children this curtain this veil this huge obstruction later on the book of colossians would call it a wall of hostility leads us to settle for worshiping the things of this world and not knowing the depth of the creator's love do you get that we have never seen this veil But on a daily basis, friends, we have this nagging, gnawing thought that doesn't shake off any of us. And what's the thought? Things should be better than this. Life should be better than this. The world should be better than this. And this is why if we don't understand both creation and its goodness, but also sin in its fallenness, the world, your Bible, and your relationship with God won't make any sense. So what is this for us, friends? Perhaps this curtain not only rep, uh, represents the ways that we aren't close to God right now. We might be in church. It might be Easter Sunday. But we're not following Him. We're not loving Him. We're not believing in Him. We're not trusting Him. Perhaps this curtain stands for some kind of sin. Not just one moment, perhaps years ago, but a reoccurring, perpetual vice that you just can't be freed of. What does this curtain represent to you? Here's what Jesus Christ's death did. (laughs) Broke it in half. Opened the way. So that now, no religious acts of animal sacrifice... No way of us trying to make ourselves right with God through our own deeds is needed. The path has been paved. The door has been opened. The veil has been torn in two. Now what do we need to do? Believe. There's one more miracle that happens on that Good Friday. Yes, there's the miracle of the, uh, the darkness There's the miracle of God deserting his son for our sake. There's a miracle of the earthquakes and the resurrections. The last miracle is the miracle of a centurion trusting in Jesus Christ. It says here in verse 54, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this was the son of God. You see what happened is these men were violent men. These men crucified people. They did acts of violence that we would think unthinkable. And these are the men, and this is the centurion, that makes the first profession of Jesus' divinity and deity. You can't make this stuff up. In the Gospel of Mark, it starts by telling the story of Jesus, the Son of God. And through the gospel of Mark, no one else makes this profession, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, until it leaves the lips of the one that you would have never thought. It leaves the lips of a centurion. You see, friends, why is it that Jesus, why is it that God, why is the Holy Spirit, has a centurion make this profession of faith? It's because not only are there some of us that think, Christianity is only for the religious and the self-righteous. It's only for the holy people. It's only for the holy rollers. It has nothing to do with me, and I'm not interested in it. If the centurion was here, he would say, you don't even know how dark my past was, and now I believe. You see, the veil, the curtain was torn, not only in the temple, but in his heart. The holy of holies now wasn't in some temple made by men, The Holy of Holies dwelled in the heart of a centurion, the heart of a soldier. And he can dwell in your heart as well. The last point is simply this. In the same way, the centurion and his men literally crucified Christ on the cross. It wasn't just centurions that did it. It wasn't just scribes and religious leaders, Jewish Pharisees that did it. It wasn't just Pilate and Herod. It was me. It was me. It was us. The good news of Resurrection Sunday is that while in death, Jesus conquered death, but he's not dead anymore. Not only does the torn curtain invite you in, but so does the empty tomb. If Jesus Christ is alive, then we must decide. The Bible says if we continue to deny, to rebel, continue to walk away from the sacrifice of His Son and the only way of salvation, then we are choosing to remain in our sin. We're choosing to remain in unforgiveness, choosing to remain in selfishness and pride. And that one day when death comes creeping at our door, that one day where we come to terms with the fact that we're not in control and we've never been in control, we will see that all of our excuses and pretenses are just a thin, thin veil. Allow Jesus Christ to rip that thing open, to come into your heart, to forgive you of your sin, and to fill you with a knowledge of his love that is deeper and higher and wider than you ever thought possible. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your grace. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would so send your grace now that perhaps someone came today that was thinking, well, I'll go to church with my friends, I'll go to church with my mom, I'll go to church with my dad, I'll go to church with my neighbor who invited me, never expecting to perhaps have new eyes, a new heart, a new life, and a new beginning. But that's what's available to us now. Friends, if you want to know Jesus Christ, believe in him. Believe and confess Him as Lord. Say this brief prayer with me. Heavenly Father, if you can sense the Holy Spirit working in your heart, say this from your heart. Let the running cease. Let the excuses fall. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. I need Jesus today. Please forgive me of my sin. Please fill my heart in the same way you filled that centurion's heart. And give me the strength and the boldness to trust you and to confess you as my God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to watch a video in a moment here and respond in singing if you want to know the power of Christ, but you still have questions, you want to make that profession of faith, then we invite you to come forward during this video and this last song. There's going to be prayer counselors up here. We'd love to tell you more about our King, about our Savior, Jesus Christ. With that said, let's take a look at this video. Amen, church. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Let's stand to our feet and sing. I want to be as clear as I can. If you need prayer, if you want to know Jesus, we love to tell you about him. Let this Easter be less about the bunny and more about the lamb. Amen? The lamb of God who was slain for our sins. In Christ and in Christ alone, We find our hope, our healing, and our strength.